I feel like I'm standing in a river. <laughs> but I've been worried about that weed harvester for a couple of years now. He kept getting closer and closer. You know, so I'm glad I can swim. Safe now. Okay, Romans chapter number eight. Get used to being in chapter eight for a little while. It's, it's, There's a lot in here. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have, Lord, to study your word. Father, pray God you bless the lesson, Lord. Pray God you help me be able to speak, Father, and, and teach in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We left off in verse number 9, according to my precise calculations here. So i got a circle right there by it. Let's read verse number 8, then we'll go into verse number 9. Romans chapter 8, verse 8 says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, verse 9, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. In the preceding verses, Paul had kind of given a description of the, the carnal and spiritual mindedness. We talked about that. And, and here he applies um, what he's been saying to those Christians at the church uh, at Rome. Not of Rome, at Rome. Not the church of Rome, that's the Roman Catholic Church. Church at Rome. Uh, so to be in the flesh signifies being in a state of corruption. We've discussed that. So the word flesh means the old nature, the old corrupt uh, nature. Uh, back in uh, Romans chapter number 1, verse 17, now verse 7 rather, when we first started the book of Romans, uh, Paul said to all that be in Rome, beloved God, call to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called saints. Amen. Had this preacher when I was in Germany. Spent six years there, and we had a lot of guest preachers coming over, big name guys. Most of them are all gone now. But uh, there's one guy from the south. Boy, he was he was tough. He said there are two kind of people in this world: saints and ain'ts. <laughs> and if you ain't a saint. You ain't. So that's pretty, pretty different there. I actually like the word ain't. I used to use the word ain't all the time. I like it. It's, it's, it's the economy of words. When I worked at WTA, I get bombarded by bus drivers constantly. Can we do this? Can we do this? To change the bus interior, you know. I mean, you had to take a test when you got there to see if you would fit and you were comfortable. And, as soon as you get hired, oh, can you change this? And No, no, no. You know, and they, they give you all these things, and they write up these proposals, and I finally just said, we ain't doing this. We ain't going to do this. Not, I looked at your design and, your, and looked at the budget, and I've determined that we have, no, we ain't doing this. So that's kind of, I got a name by that. I, I, hey, Kurt, uh, are you guys ain't doing nothing today? No, we ain't doing nothing today. No, we just ain't doing anything to modify the bus. Problem was these guys grow. I mean, we get these big. We have buses. We have to fit 95th percentile of the people in the world. So you can be so tall, or you can be so tall. We get the ones that are so tall, but then they grow, and nothing fits them. They want us to move the seats around. 
course, the next person to drive the bus is a shorter person. It doesn't fit them, so we just, you know, we ain't doing this. Something's got to give, and it's probably you. You know, I mean, you can change easier than I can change the bus. So anyways, I don't know how I got on that. But anyways, uh, uh, so he, he called them saints. If that the Spirit of God dwell on you, this does not mean that if the, the, the disposition or the feeling of God, it means if the Holy Spirit dwell in you. Gotta keep that in mind, the Holy Spirit lives within us. Look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Chapter 6 and verse 11. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Look at, uh, look at verse number 19 in the same, uh, same chapter here. Chapter 6, verse 19. Nobody turned back, but I did. I'll find it again. Chapter 6, verse 19. What Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have not of God, and ye are not your own? Amen. We need to realize that God owns us. And, and God doesn't smoke. God doesn't drink. And God doesn't eat vegetables. He may, I don't know. Anyways, look at, uh, look at John chapter 14. John chapter 14. God, Holy Spirit, lives within us. John 14, verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, who's that? Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth in you, and shall be in you. One more, Ephesians chapter number 1. I usually get these verses all in order, but I didn't do it this time, because I didn't do it this time. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 12. That we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. We're sealed. Right. Sealed. Christ was our earnest, Holy Spirit, our, our down payment. We're sealed. And that's a, that's a wonderful feeling. And verse number 9 back in our text says, He is none of His. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, He is none of His. What are you talking about? You know, someone may be intellectually aware of God, or know God, as they may think, uh, or have a hidden knowledge of God, but not influenced by His Spirit, not, not, not led by the Spirit of God, you know, the simple truth is, if, if they're not, the Spirit isn't in you, you're not saved. That's what Paul's saying. Uh, he is none of His. Now let's look at verse number 10. We're going to bounce around there just a little bit. Verse number 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. 
Paul having confirmed, let's look at verse number 2. Paul having confirmed in the second verse, the law of the spirit of life. See that there in verse number 2? For the law of the spirit of life hath made me free. In the third and fourth verses, Paul talked about the, the manner in which we're freed from the law of sin. And that was from God sending his own son. In verse number 3 there. God sent his own son to free us from the clutches of sin. But now Paul needed to, he told them, um, you know, uh, the law of spirit and the manner. Now he's going to tell, them, tell us how we're freed. How are we freed? He does this in verses 10 and 11. Before we get there, verses 7 and 8, Paul confirmed a declaration that he made in verse 6. What was that, de that declaration in verse 6? For to be carnally minded is what? Death. That's a declaration. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So there's two opposites here. There's Amen. two contrasts here, okay? This or this. So he, he now illustrates the opposite declaration. Uh, the spirit of life is righteousness. So you get death over here, righteousness over here, depending on which handed you are. Um, you know, you can make it any way you want to. Um, uh, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Amen. Now, verse number 10, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead. dead. Wait a minute. What happened with the body? The body's dead. Wait, I thought we were redeemed. I thought we, were, we weren't in corruption. I thought, what happened? The body's dead. So Paul admits that despite the believer's union with Christ, this body is corrupt by sin. It's dead. But then he gives us in verse 11, in 10 and 11, this kind of a double consolation. The body's dead, but he gives us this reassurance that our souls are eternal. And what else? He's going to change our bodies. And those are going to be resurrected. So, it's not dead and you're dead. It's your body's dead, but then it's going to be resurrected. Amen. Okay, so he says that because so, he wants to clear up this objection. That people say, wait a minute, I thought you said. Why are we subject to death like other men if we're saved? Because the body is corrupt. Right. He's going to change our incorruption to, or change our corruption into incorruption. When we're, when we're called up. And in what follows in, in kind of the rest of this chapter here, especially verse 18, Paul abundantly shows us that the temporary sufferings of believers, among which is death of the body, if we don't get raptured, uh, is not worthy to be compared Amen. to the glory that shall be revealed to us. So yeah, if we live long enough, we're going to suffer. This body's going to suffer death. Um, the older you get, take my word for it, the more you hope for the rapture. You're not right, almost as old as That's I am. Right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. So yeah, the body's going to die, but Christ is going to raise us up, our souls and our bodies. 
verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies, give them life, by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Amen. So He removes this, this difficulty while our body's going to die by saying, you know, get over it. It's, it's going to be resurrected. Amen. You're going to get a new one. I know mine is worn out. So the bodies of believers being dead, their souls are saved and their bodies are going to be resurrected. So he sets before us first the resurrection of Jesus Christ and next our own resurrection as being members of Christ. Jesus conquered death and the grave and with him we shall overcome death and the grave. Amen. So Paul rests our freedom from death on the same foundation on which he had already shown that our freedom uh, from sin is secure. That same foundation. We've been building that up. We're saved. We're justified. That same foundation that we're secure from hell, from the uh, 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 corruption of our flesh, and all that's associated with that, we're free from that. Now we're we're um, uh, free uh, from eternal death. Is we're going to have our bodies resurrected. John fourteen nineteen. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live. You know the rest of that verse. Because I live, ye shall, ye shall live. Right. So we're we're un we're with Christ. What he went through on the cross paved our way. We're going to suffer some. We'll talk about that more as we go through. We're going to suffer death maybe. But it's not to be compared to the glory that, that awaits us. Therefore, brethren, verse number 12, we are not debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. Therefore, when you see the word therefore, What's it there for? What's it talking about? It's easy to look back above where it's at. What's the therefore there for? So the consequence and significance drawn from what Paul had said, I'll re remind you, our state of enmity to God, talk about that, the death of those who are in the flesh, the great privilege of believers as not being in the flesh but in the spirit, having the spirit of God dwelling in us, and not only giving our life, uh, not only giving life to our souls, but securing the quickening of our mortal bodies. All this, from all this, Paul infers something here, an obligation. We are not debtors, not to the flesh. We're not debtors to the flesh. What are we debtors to? Jesus. There's a, and he doesn't demand this, he just kind of infers, there's an obligation. Not to the flesh, the state in which we had been, the state of corruption, guilt, and weakness. We're not debtors to live after the flesh or expect anything from the flesh or that life we used to live that we thought was great but it wasn't. We're not debtors to that. We're debtors to Jesus. We're debtors to God to serve and obey Him. Verse 13, for if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. 
But if ye through the Spirit, capital S, Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Mortify. If you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if you live through the Spirit, do mortify. Do what's, What does that word mean, mortify? Kill. Kill. Put to death the old flesh, the old deeds of the flesh. If you mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. If you in your carnal nature live comfortably without Christ and faith in Him, uh, and according to the corrupt principles that belong to the flesh, to the unsafe person, you're going to die. How many deaths are you going to have? Physical death and, help me out here, spiritual, good, spiritual death. We may have a physical death, but we don't have a spiritual death. And death is separation. Spirit from the body, and then the spirit from God. That's spiritual death. So Paul just kind of repeats what he said here in verse number 6. You know, for the, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is, is life and peace. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. That's an old English term. That's why it's in our old English Bible here. And it, um, it it's, it's really goes in context with our union with Christ. Verse number 13 again. If you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if you live through the Spirit, demortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. I like the King, I love the King James Version Bible. It's direct, it's not ambiguous, gets to the point. Let me read what this verse says in the uh, International Standard Bible. <clears throat> if you subdue all that is inconsistent with the highest ideals, clear as mud. Live consistent with, with live, subdue all that is inconsistent with the highest ideals. I know what that means. Subdue all that is inconsistent. Romans 8.13. I'm subduing all the things that aren't consistent with the highest ideals. What are those? So, it's, it's important to not get into these watered-down translations and these other versions. Because they really, you know, I, I couldn't show someone that. You know what you need to do? You need to, you need to subdue all that you, you know. What is that? What are you telling me? Mortify them. Kill them. The Bible's very plain and direct. Amen. What Paul's saying here is intensely real. Our old man, not talking about somebody else, your old man, the old you, is dangerous to your Christian life. Put it away. The old you is put away. It's dead, it's mortified, but sometimes... Things just kind of pop up, don't they? Remember back in chapter 7, the old nature didn't move out. It just moved over, right? Still there. we got to fight that thing. Galatians 5.24, if you turn there.
Galatians 5.24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Put that away. They got rid of that. Uh, look, at, uh, look at Colossians chapter 3. Verse number 5. Paul says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, uh, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Mortify them. Put them to death. If they pop back up, it's like a whack-a-mole. Everybody ever played that before? You just get back down there. Because they do pop up, don't they? We get these thoughts, these things, we see things we can't unsee. We, we get these thoughts, you know, bang. Beat it back down. Mortify it. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Sons of God. Now we got sons of God. Later on, we're going to have children of God here a couple of verses later. In spiritual things, we are little children. Uh, I used to have little children who, you know, if I was crossing the street, who holds whose hand? I hold them by the scruff of the neck and we go across the street, right? I mean, we don't, we don't let them hold your hand because they run off. Oh, pretty truck and they you know take off well bring it back with you no um, they they um, we hold their hands so they don't they don't, don't escape so we're like little children members saved spiritual things uh, are, are are hard to comprehend sometimes we're children uh, you may have noticed when you got saved you didn't re memorize the whole Bible you didn't know everything you some of you that's that's why they're here you want to learn more about Christ and about and about the Bible so we're need, we have a need to be led by the hand so we don't fall. It's necessary that believers be led by the Spirit of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God. They are the sons of God. Okay? Now, the manner in which the Spirit leads is not by violence or against our character but by bending and changing our will. Anybody ever have your will bent or changed? A few of you have. What's it like? <laughs> no, I never had. No, God had, God's had to, to, to bring us through some things, trials, sufferings, and whatever way he had to do it, to, to knock some things off, didn't he? To refine us, if you will. That's bending and changing our will in a manner that's consistent with His will. Amen. In John 6, Jesus says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It's not meant that God forces people against their will. Because most people are naturally reluctant. I mean, I knew about religion, some, I thought, back when I was 20 or frame one, whatever it was, uh, I didn't know anything. And I kept thinking, boy, it's a, I, I can't choose this one I want. I wanted something. I wasn't raised with anything, but I wanted something. And whoever would have got me yeah. probably would have got me. Yeah. I could be a Mormon right now or 
JW or anything else because I needed somebody. You know, God brought someone in my path to show me the truth, to invite me to a church where I heard the truth. And a, and a concerned guy, you know, he's going to get the pew in front of you so hard, but your knuckles turn white. He, um, he says, uh, you saved? I said, I don't know what that means. <laughs> he said, if you died today, would you go to heaven? Probably not. So, and he showed me right there. Amen. And a couple weeks later, I got baptized. So, yeah. But that's, that's, I was looking. But God has bent and changed my will about things. And it's consistent with this influential power that God can change our resistance to things. Uh, early on, they didn't see the reason for tithing. Pastor had a nice car, wore nice clothes, big church, bigger than ours. I just need my money for I need it. I'm just a, I'm, just an, I'm in the army. I need you know, God had to convince me through a series of events to tithe. Then I had to be reconvinced a couple times to keep tithing. You know what I mean? He uh, tapered my will. He uh, reduced my resistance to things. And that's how God works in our life. He tries to reduce that resistance. There used to be a song, I heard it back in the 70s. I remember it was called the Hornet Song. It'd be a good song for the group to play. Uh, and one of the lines in that song is, God does not compel us to go against our will. He just makes us willing to go. That's my first and last solo in this church. <laughs> I want to I copy that tape there so I can... No. No, he doesn't, you know, he just compels us. He just helps us along. He makes us willing to go sometimes. And that was kind of a fun song, talking about, you know, the, the hornets attacking the Egyptians and stuff, you know what I mean, you know, trying to get the children out of, uh, out, of, uh, out of Egypt. And it was kind of a fun song, but that's, we used to hear it all the time. The kids used to sing it. Just makes them willing to go. Yeah, God makes you willing to go. That's right. There's a lot of folks that go to these mission fields, Papua New Guinea, I remember Brother Russell was, was compelled to go. God compelled the need for him to go, and he understood. I need to get there, and he got there, and he stayed there. That's how God works. Amen. Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is God that worketh in you to will and to do your own thing. No, to do His good pleasure. God uses people. That's why He left us here after we got saved. Amen. And we could have been taken right up. Oh, where's so-and-so today? Oh, they got saved. Oh, no. You know, I used to, I can imagine trying to have a job being a supervisor. Oh, another guy got saved. You got to keep hiring people all the time. No, He left us here to serve Him. That's why He did that. Okay? Turn over to Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. So we still have within us a principle, a little bitty piece of us opposing the Spirit of God. We say no to God. Or we say not yet to God, or we say something else to God, whatever it is, but sometimes we're not, we're not bendable enough. 
we resist. Galatians 5.17 For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So that spiritual and fleshly battle still fights all the time. And we've got to be on guard for that. This shows the reason why the children of God, despite our, our remaining ignorance or depravity, where we have in us uh, by the many temptations which we are assaulted on a daily basis, we got to hold on the way. we we got we to gotta hold on to God. we got to stick by the stuff. Psalm 25.5, Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. My hope is in you. Guide me, teach me, you know, steer me the direction I need to go, keep me on that path. Uh, the longer I live in this world, the more you got going on today, it's easy to get sidetracked. It really is. And you got to wait for another on-ramp to get back on the way you, you know. Uh, it's, it's difficult to be a Christian today. Right. We're onslaughted. We're, we're assaulted. Right. Everything. Uh, anti Church, anti-Christian, anti-God. Um, we have religious people in government that saying murdering babies is okay. It's just a different point of view. God doesn't think that. He's got one point of view. It's wrong. So, Amen. so as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. The scripture gives this character of the sons of God differently. And it's according to, uh, to nature and grace. Let me explain what I mean here. The Son of God is by nature. It belongs to Jesus Christ, who is the only begotten Son, begotten Son of God. We are sons of God. By the grace of redemption. We became sons. And we uh, are sons of God uh, as we're led by this Spirit. We're the sons of God. Sorry, ladies. You didn't make it. No, it's, we're talking about mankind, Christians, sons of God. Among men, there are two ways of becoming children. One is by birth. You thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? One is by birth and one is by adoption. There's two ways to become someone's child. Birth, adoption. A son is born into a family or a son is adopted into a family. No one can be a son or a daughter by any, by any other way. But God has made it so that we should be His sons by both of these ways together. Here in the next few verses, Paul's going to show us four proofs of our being the sons of God. First, in verse 14, is our being led by the Spirit of God. Second, in verse 15, is the spirit of adoption, which we'll get to. Uh, which we receive and we cry, 
Abba, Father. The third is in verse 16, where our sufferings are in the communion with Jesus Christ. He tells us we're going to suffer. That's with Christ. That's part of our union with Christ. Okay? So, these are things that show we are children, we are heirs, and we're joint heirs with Christ. If so be, you suffer with Him. That's in verse uh, 17 there. So, we have not yet received the spirit of bondage to fear. That's verse 15. We have not yet received the spirit of bondage again. Did we have it before? Yeah. yeah. We were bound by sin and the, the repercussions of sin. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit of bondage is the effect of the law. They were bound. Which reveals man's sinfulness and fear of God's wrath, God's punishment. If you broke the law, things happen. You were punished for it. And it was serious. And it made men tremble, I'm sure. I'm sure when Achan stole the Babylonian garments and the gold and silver, and they went to the tribe, went to the family, went to the, you know, and it nailed down and he's all by himself. I bet he was scared. And his kids are going, Daddy, what did you do? You know, so they were afraid of that law. So Paul here kind of compares two covenants, namely uh, the law from Mount Sinai and the gospel from Mount Zion. But the one from Mount Sinai was bondage. But grace leads to freedom. He justifies the ungodly. Romans 4, 5. But to him that worketh, meaning that works for justification, worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. He imputes to them righteousness without works. We went through that back in chapter 4. He adopts as his own children those of us who were formerly the children of wrath. Uh, it gives us the spirit of adoption to uh, us who were before had the spirit of bondage. So Christ came that through his death he might destroy death, and him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and to deliver them who through fear were in all their lifetime in bondage. So you've been in bondage before you get saved, you don't even know it. You're bound. You have a death sentence. You are condemned already if you don't believe. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them 
who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Let's talk about us. All of our lives until we got saved, we were subject to bondage. We were captured. Talking about that war, remember, just, it captures our mind, and we're, we're captured. But the spirit of adoption, the, the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of adoption. And he makes us his children uh, as the earnest money and, and the seal of our adoption. Contrary to the spirit of bondage, the spirit of adoption produces a heart and a sense of reconciliation towards God. If you're under bonded, bondage, you don't have much feelings, personal feelings for the person that's, that, that's holding you bondage, do you? But now that we're saved, we're adopted, spirit of bondage, we have this sense of reconciliation with God. We love God. Uh, we want to serve God. We don't like sin. We hate sin. We like peace. We have peace. And this is all through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Adoption is not a work in us. It's not a work of grace in us. It's an act of God's grace. He adopts us. Our adoption to which God has called us in becoming our father and making us his children includes, boy, innumerable rights and privileges and at the same time imposing some duties on us, doesn't it? Faithful serve. First, regarding privilege and glory of having our God, having God for our father and being his child. There's a privilege in being a son of God, a child of God. There's a privilege in that. We have something the lost folks don't have. Second, it includes the rights that adoption bestows. Free access to God, knowledge of His ways, assurance of His protection. Adoption assures some rights. Third, adoption implies God's love towards us. God loves us so much He wanted to adopt us. Amen. And He's jealous for our interests. He wants to protect us. He wants to keep Satan and other evil things away from us. He's jealous of those things. He is, don't, don't bother my adopted child. Fourth, all the duties which the title or relationship of the children engages and performs towards the Father and our God. There, there's a title we have, child of God. And there's some duties associated with that. We perform those duties the best we can as the Spirit leads us and as we learn and we grow, okay? I should remark here next, for the next few minutes. Uh, there's a difference between adoption of a man and the adoption of God. Man, in choosing a son by adoption, what does he look for? I mean, if you were just said, you're going to go adopt a son, you know, you, you look at him, you have some desires, don't you? Kind of compare it to a used car, but I don't, I don't want to do that. You, you have desires. You want this kind of child. You want this kind of, you know, you look at the background. Whatever it is you want to look at, you look at it. You, you check it out. You have, there, there are certain real qualities that you're looking for. But God, in adopting us, produces those qualities in us. He didn't look for them. He makes them. Man can impart his goods and give his name to whoever he adopts, but he cannot change their lineage. Can't change them. Can't transfer them into his own image. 
But God makes those whom He adopts not only be, be uh, partakers of His name and His blessings, but also His nature itself, changing and transforming us into a Christ-like image. That's through sanctification. As we grow, we become more like Christ. That's the goal. Be more like Christ. Abba Father. The introduction of the words Abba Father here shows that the believer has the strongest evidence of the excellence of the position where we stand. And we know we're adopted, and we know this is by the Spirit of God, and it was given to us by uh, when we were adopted, when we were saved, and we can't know we're saved by any other means. How many of you know you're saved? Some of you do, some of you don't. No, I'm saved. It's not because someone on the outside told you that you're saved. It's not because you feel saved. Tomorrow morning is Monday morning. How many of you got to work tomorrow? You going to feel saved when you first get up? I never did. Is it Monday already? Of course, these days I retired. <laughs> Every day. Every day is wonderful. Um, you know, in its own way. Um, it doesn't bother me, but, you know, there's times I don't feel saved. It's not a feeling, is it? It's a fact. Okay? Adoption, we know. We have this assurance of eternal life. It's not conjecture or assumption or logical thinking or someone on the outside saying, well, you must be saved. No. It's by God's own Spirit that lives within us that shows us that we're saved. We'll stop here on verse number 16, and we'll pick that up next week. Thank you, Father, for the lesson. Lord, pray God you bless the services to follow. Pray God you bless pastor, Father. Pray God you bring visitors this morning, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.